listening to Ohio State English, the podcast for the month of November 2014. I'm Haley Cowens. Coming up, I'll be talking to some of our writers here at Ohio State about blogging. What does it mean to publish a blog as a writer? What are the benefits and challenges, the pros and cons? What does it mean to run a blog about writing? These answers and more are coming up. Today I'm talking with three people who have um, very different perspectives and are in very different stages of um, entering the sort of blogging universe. So I'm really excited to talk to the three of you, um, and thank you for joining me. I'll let you uh, introduce yourselves. My name is Zachary Levin, and I do have a blog at Zachary.com, and Zachary is spelled like Daiquiri, Z-A-I-Q-U-I-R-I.com. I'm an MFA fiction candidate here at OSU, and I've been blogging for a very long time. All right, thank you. I'm Colleen Morrissey, and uh, I'm a PhD student in literature here at OSU. I also write um, fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. And um, I have a Twitter account at Colleen Moz, and my website, but not quite blog, is ColleenMorrissey.com. I'm David Winter. Um, I'm an MFA candidate in poetry here at OSU. Um, And I also do a good deal of work with the Literacy Narratives of Black Columbus Project, uh, where I work with other students to interview local black poets. Um, I have a website at davidwinter.net, where I started a blog about a week ago. (laughs) So that is sort of a thing now. (laughs) Right. So again, thank you all for um, joining me. Um, Zachary, when you reached out to me, uh, you had said that you have uh, been blogging since before the word blog even existed. Uh, so my question for you is, um, how did you decide to start blogging, and what made you interested in it? Oh, um, it's kind of irresistible to me, this idea that you can put up a piece of writing and it will be available to anyone out there in the world. Uh, um, I have for a long time been a technology person for my, in a previous life, I did Macintosh tech support for many, many years. Um, I've always been fascinated by communication technology um, since the very, very early days of the internet. I'm an old man. Uh, um, And uh, yeah, it's just this irresistible urge to communicate with the world, which is, you know, it's intoxicating, but it's also terrifying. I've had many blogs that I have erased from history because <laughs> um, I no longer want you know, people to read what I have to say. But, um, yeah. That's interesting. We'll have to get into that. Um, thank you. David, so what made you want to start a blog, you know, a week ago? <laughs> um, I guess there are a couple of things. I, I've thought of writing very much as sort of a communal thing for a long time. I think we have this sort of romantic idea of writers as like sitting alone in their garrets Um, just writing into the void. And I uh, sort of came into creative writing through performance poetry communities where there's a very immediate conversation happening in tandem with the work. Um, And I think when I started publishing, I wanted to have more of a conversation as well around the work going into the world and with other um, readers and writers. And I feel like uh, sort of blogging and social media uh, provide one or one set of platforms uh, where you can have that um, and you can have a little bit of a quicker back and forth than you spend like a year writing something and a year trying to publish it and then a year waiting for it to appear somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's more of an immediate conversation. Yeah. Okay. 
So, um, Colleen, you had said to me when you reached out to me that you had um, ambivalent feelings about blogging. Uh, so I'm curious about some of that. Do you have apprehensions? Um, what, are, what are some of your thoughts about that? Yes, apprehensions. <laughs> um, I have had blogs in the past. Uh, when I was a teenager, I would blog a lot. And then when I got into college and I was starting to try and publish my work for the first time, you know, the kind of common narrative that we get told these days, if you want to write professionally at all, is to create a platform to, to um, you know, kind of almost brand yourself, even though that's kind of a dirty word in artistic uh, mm -hmm. parlance. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of succumbed in some way to this when I was very young. And, and just, I felt like the kind of blog entries I was writing we're not even up to my own standards. I um, tend to be very perfectionistic when it comes to my writing. And as I began to actually publish my work and, you know, people were reading it and seeking me out, you know, on the internet, um, and they were coming across, you know, some, at least in my mind, mediocre blog entry about my process or, you know, some such thing. I just wasn't comfortable with them encountering that alongside this incredibly polished piece of work that got published in a, in a literary journal or, or some such thing. Um, okay. So I, I just ended up not being okay with having um, uh, what I thought was not strong writing of mine or not as strong as this other thing. Zachary, does that sort of speak to some of your experiences with blogs long deleted? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. We, we, I've seen this often um, with writers these days especially feel very, very protective um, of their personalities. I mean, that's what you own really is that writer persona. And writing is hard, <laughs> you know, and um, putting something out there on the Internet that kind of lives forever um, – you know, that's, that's kind of a terrifying thing. It's not, it's really not the same even as publishing something in a journal, you know, quite frankly, that thing is not going to be very accessible. Um, it's going to sit on people's shelves. It'll disappear sort of, you know, um, but that, you know, blog entry that you put up 15 years ago has a way <laughs> of coming back to life and just being at everyone's fingertips. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's really terrifying. Uh, um, Personally, like I'm, uh, I'm a huge fan of George Orwell, who was actually sort of one of the original bloggers out there, even though he lived before the internet. But he would do this series for uh, the, the Tribune, I think it was, called As I Please, which was him just every day just writing about anything that popped into his head, you know, how to make a pot of tea or, you know, just any random thought. Um, and, uh, you go through these essays and they're very much like blog entries, you know, okay. and, um, so it's, it's kind of, stunned. so I, I'm inspired by that because I feel like, okay, it's been done. He did it successfully. <laughs> he had a good career as a writer. He, he <laughs> just, whatever weird thought popped into his head, he was able to kind of put out there into the world and still kind of, you know, um, do his thing. So I look to that as an example. Well, and I think that Twitter, at least for me, is a really good compromise between, um, you know, a full-fledged blog entry, which I can't help but kind of equate with a short nonfiction piece, um, and, you know, just withdrawing from, 
from all um, social media as a, a writer um, because, you know, Twitter, no one expects anything akin to an obus. <laughs> you have this very short, you know, maybe just how to make a good pot of tea, um, very abbreviated recipe. And at least for me, it's a kind of nice way and a safer way um, uh, to be able to interact and, and form a community, a writing community, uh, but fight against my own perfectionistic tendencies. No one's going to hold a tweet against you. You know, it's true. Like, unless it's really offensive. Somehow. I was going to say, like, <laughs> not artistically. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think that that is the tone that you really need to look for in a blog entry is to make it a long tweet. You know, I mean, there is this, this, it is a bit self-indulgent to be writing a blog. It's a form of self-publishing and there's this, you know, feeling kind of looming over your head that, uh, you know, there's this conceit that you're doing, that you, you assume there's people out there who are really interested in what you have to say, you know, um, and uh, it's really difficult to find the right tone, you know, to overcome that conceit, you know? Yeah. I'm really interested in the fact that um, we're talking about these anxieties around putting writing out into the internet, um, which are definitely anxieties that I share, um, which is one of the reasons that I want to blog is so that I can like combat that. Um, but we're not talking about having anxiety around what we're doing right now, which is recording speech, which will be available on the internet. Um, and I guess for me as a poet who um, has some degree of root in a performance tradition or a performance community, I don't think so much as of speech and writing as being so separate. Um, and I guess I think about, so like it's true that we spend forever polishing these little pieces that we get published in journals, but we also like show up to class every day and talk about writing. Um, and we, uh, you know, go to workshops and talk about writing and we have all of these drafts. Um, and I guess in my mind, there's more of a continuum here between sort of the ways that we use language on an everyday basis, which I think is more like what we're talking about with Twitter. Um, and then the polished perfectionist stuff where we're like losing sleep over the placement of commas. And for me, I am hoping that blogging is somewhere in the middle-ish um, and not too far to either side so that I don't have to be too terrified of it. <laughs> Right. Although, given the chance, I would definitely go back and heavily edit everything I've said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's, it's different. It's out there in the world. There's no taking it back. Even though you know it's said that the internet never forgets. At least yeah. you can you can in some ways edit or delete or modify. Right. So maybe thinking of it as part of this sort of ongoing conversation, as opposed to. Uh, a new place of publishing, you know, pieces right. forever. Um, you know, there might be different degrees of what the internet really is. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because I mean, I think that is a matter of finding that tone. And to be honest, like there, there have been a lot of times when, um, I will revise a blog entry to make it sound less well-written. Uh, <laughs> like, seriously, uh, because in order to find that conversational tone that I'm going for, you know, and it's like as writers, we're, we really train ourselves to write properly and to do everything in this proper way, and that can sound very stilted sometimes when you know you're trying to 
have that kind of conversational tone with a reader, so I have to go back and kind of like, you know, um, put those prepositions at the end of the sentence, (laughs) (laughs) that sort of thing, you know, to make it sound more natural. That's fascinating to me because it makes it sound like you have a different purpose when you're coming to your blog and when you're publishing on your blog than when you're working on your fiction pieces um, or, or the types of things that are that are going out into, you know, these journals and things. Is that, is that kind of accurate? Do you come at it from a different place? Um, I, I mean, there, there is this unifying purpose of communicating with the world. Um, so in that sense, it's, it might be similar to writing a story, but, um, yeah, it, it's different types of communication, you know, that's all it is. You know, I mean, the, the fiction that I write might be coming from a much deeper emotional place, whereas the, the blogging will be coming from a more immediate intellectual place. Okay. So as a more seasoned blogger, um, would you have any advice for, you know, maybe David as he's starting or Colleen, if she ever decides she wants to jump back into it, anything you've learned over your, your years of doing this and deleted blogs and... Um, yeah, I mean, I think again, like it, it is, um, my, my main advice really is to just treat it as like an open letter, um, to a friend. And I I think of it that way in terms of like, you know, if there's a book that I've read that I think is really interesting that I want my friends to know about, instead of writing an email to every friend I know telling them they should read this book, I will put up a blog entry about it. Um, and I will try to make it sound like an open letter, uh, um, and uh, that's that's my main advice is to really just try to strike that right conversational tone. Yeah, that makes sense. So we've talked a little bit about um, you know the role that the internet obviously plays in all of this and in this conversation. Um, and I feel like, especially recently, I've been seeing a lot of debate about um, you know what what role the internet plays in in art right now. Um, and there's kind of this this double side of like, well, on the one hand, there's exposure, there's a wider audience, but on the other hand, you know, this free content is creating difficulties and things like that. And so I was wondering, um, and this is open to any of any of you, where you kind of land on, you know, where these kind of pros and cons balance out in your decisions to to engage with the internet and to put your work out there. I feel like I've I've done. Um fiction for a podcast in the past for which I was not paid. Um, and I suppose I could have put that piece in a journal that paid, I could have, you know, I submitted it elsewhere. Um, but I really was interested at this point in time more in the new formats of fiction via podcast, almost like a return to the old radio play. Um, I was interested in the performative aspect of it, as David was talking about earlier. Um, I, li- I love to do readings and um, love to perform at readings instead of just read words off of a page. And you often don't get paid for readings either. So yes, it, it, it is. Um, I, I was willing in that instance to kind of sacrifice a potential paycheck, but really with, with at least my the point in my career right now, um, it's not giving up very much money at all. <laughs> so I was, I, I was more interested in, in, um, in exposing, uh, my voice very literally and, um, figuratively to a wider audience and kind of experimenting. Um, so I think, I think the proliferation of 
forms on the internet is is weighs more on the good side than the bad side. Um, just as always, the money needs to catch up to to where the imagination's taken it. I, I have a, a just kind of an interesting perspective on this, just because my background is originally in music. I went to music school. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I came here, and uh, from the music industry side of things, it's just a very different perception out there, especially when it comes to this idea of self-publishing and kind of selling your work. For the indie band to kind of record their own album and put it up on their website for people to pay money for, to download, is very common and really admired uh, in our culture. Writers is not the same thing. Like, you know, for you to kind of write your book or your story and put it up on a website and ask people to like pay a dollar, ten dollars to download it, like it's really kind of frowned upon, probably for good reasons, because you need to engage in that editorial process. And uh, um, But there's just such a different perspective on it when you go from music to writing. Um, but uh, I also agree that it's kind of almost funny to talk about the money in writing. <laughs> there is none. Um, so. <laughs> You know, it's not something that I have... I, I'm hoping that someday it will be an issue for me. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think that... I mean, in terms of the money questions, it maybe breaks down a little bit differently for poetry than fiction, in that I think there's even less money in publishing poetry to begin with. Um, I do think... It's possible to make money teaching writing, and it's possible to make money um, for a small number of people performing poetry. Um, and I think that actually there's a economic advantage to just making your work visible on the internet if you're interested in doing those things. Um, what I think about more is probably the ways in which um, the proliferation of uh online literary magazines and uh, different kinds of online, um, you know, just media. Uh, I mean, poetry is all over the place online. Um, And I think that there's more of it being published and being read probably because of that than there has been in quite some time. Um, And it also seems very much to be a democratizing influence to me. I think that a lot of uh, people who have had less as access historically to printing and to literary education um, and to sort of having a voice in the literary conversation um, are succeeding uh, pretty dramatically in getting their work out online, which for me is very exciting. Um, The tricky part is figuring out what on earth to read when there are (laughs) 8 million, you know, literary magazines popping up every day or where to send your work. Right. or what it means to be published, you know, in a sort of upstart online space uh, versus in an established magazine when maybe five times people, five times as many people might read what you publish in a little upstart online magazine versus, you know, a, a print magazine that's been around for 50 years. Right. Um, but sort of in the academic world, those things have very different kinds of meanings. And it's a question of prestige, too, which you were yeah. talking about before. You kind of have to weigh, I, at least I find myself a lot, weighing myself the choice between exposure and prestige. Mm-hmm. You know, Do I want more people to read my work, or do I want to kind of build my CV, as it were? Right. Um, 
you know, uh, to make, you know, it's almost like banking on your future self to choose the latter, (laughs) you know, that makes for a better cover letter or it might open more doors potentially. Yeah. Um, and as we were talking to, I was just thinking of an example, um, of a kind of new ish form of writing and performance where the writing itself is maybe not making as much money, but the performance of the writing and the sales of associated merchandises. And this is a, um, a genre example, but the podcast that's quite popular, Welcome to Night Bound, yes. um, which I'm a fan of, uh, is a horror slash humor podcast that's written by a small number of people. Um, is it bi-monthly? Monthly? Something along those lines. Yeah. Um, it's not as frequently as weekly, but... Um, uh, is performed by one uh, performer for the most part, sometimes with guest voices. Um, it's it's a donation option, but otherwise you can download it for free. But where they've really been able to make the most money and pay their performers and actually kind of quit their day jobs is touring. Um, so that brings in that performance aspect. So people will, you know, they have a lot of sold out shows practically. They just did a European tour after only doing this podcast, which is basically a an ongoing serial horror humor story for for years, um, and uh, I, I think that that's fabulous. Yeah, and there's also a merchandising element to exactly. that too, because I actually found out about this podcast mm-hmm. from just knowing a lot of people who had this like weird sticker on their laptops, mm-hmm. and eventually you you ask about it and you find out about it. But I assume they had to have paid for for that kind of thing. Absolutely right. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Well, thank you all for joining me and talking with me about this. Um, I think this was really interesting and hopefully will maybe inspire people to, to kind of jump on this, this internet blogging conversation, because I think we all seem to have landed in sort of the internet can be used for, for some good, interesting things. So yeah, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you all. Next, I talk with writer and professor Lee Martin, the author of the memoir Such a Life and other works of fiction and creative nonfiction. Unfortunately, the very first part of our interview was cut off, in which I asked Lee what made him want to start his own blog about the craft of writing, called The Least You Need to Know. He said that he was actually encouraged to do it by his publisher. Here's Lee. And I thought, okay, I want to talk about writing and teaching, and then I want the category other stuff, in case I didn't have anything interesting to say about the other two. (laughs) So I started doing a blog post, um, and I was surprised to find out that I really enjoyed it because it gave me a chance to talk about things that were coming up in the classroom or in conversations within the writing program that um, needed a little further thought. And so it became a way to sort of complement my teaching and my own writing. That actually gets into what my next question was going to be, which is um, how you decide what each entry is going to be about. So is that something that kind of arises organically based on 
things that are happening to you? Very much so. Um, often it's something that has come up during a class on uh, the preceding week. And then over the weekend, I give that some thought and I do a blog post. Or it's something that's um, relevant in my uh, own writing life or my own personal life. Uh, I write a lot about um, my native southeastern Illinois and about family. And so sometimes there are things going on that, that um, um, create a new post. So it's not exclusively necessarily about, about craft or teaching. Sometimes it can be more personal. Yeah, sure. Sometimes it can be about the chowders that take place in southeastern Illinois or about the county fairs or about memories of um, um, childhood, family life. Um, sometimes I use it as a way of just trying out a little piece of flash nonfiction. That was actually, you keep anticipating my questions because um, you also do write nonfiction essays and memoirs. So um, how do you how do you separate in your mind a blog post from a piece of nonfiction or are they more linked? Does maybe a blog post turn into an essay um, or do you come at them differently? It's usually that the blog post creates the essay. Um, the blog post is a way of being very succinct about something. Uh, and then that usually requires some further development and uh, it might start to link with things that you didn't even include in the blog post. So really, I kind of look at the blog post when I'm doing a, a piece of nonfiction as a way of just um, kind of putting a toe in the water to see what the material might have that interests me. And then I, I work it out further in a, in a piece of uh, nonfiction. Okay, so it's, it's a very sort of linear process in that way. Yeah, I would say so. Okay. What tone do you tend to seek in the blog posts um, that might be different from when you come at it in an essay form? That's a really good question, and I'm not so sure there's much difference, to tell you the truth, because I'm always striving for that intimate conversational tone. Um, I guess there might be a little bit of difference in the blog post, because I think the teacherly persona uh, enters in right. in what I hope is a a down to earth sort of way, um, but it may be a little bit more present than it is in um, in a piece of nonfiction that I would be writing. Okay, so almost maybe a place of giving advice in the blog post that maybe is less present in the essays. Yeah, I would say so because in in the essays it's more of a it's more of a persona of questioning and investigating and. Um, in the blog post, I'm usually pretty clear on what I want to say and what I want to, how I want to offer advice about the craft of writing or teaching or publishing. Yeah. So along those lines, do you imagine different audiences for your blog post than perhaps you imagine for your nonfiction writing? Sometimes. Um, for example, different blog posts will um, uh, be directed toward different audiences. I mean, I've written blog posts that... Um, I have MFA students in mind as the audience. I've written blog posts that I have other teachers in mind as the audience. Uh, or I've written posts uh, that, you know, are probably um, the audience's other writers. So, yeah, I think, I think audience becomes a bigger part of the blog post than it does for the, for the essays that I write. Okay, so not even just that the audiences are different, but that the audience tends to inform your blog posts more? Well, I, I mean, I guess I would say it this way, that um, I know when I'm writing a blog post, 
that I have particular objectives in mind that match up with particular audiences. When I write an essay, I have a conversation with myself, and then whoever um, whoever it, whoever relates to that is fine with me. Uh, I'm not really thinking all that much about audience when I write an essay. That's interesting because I've actually been, you know, in talking to different people about their blogs, hearing a lot about um, writing on the internet as being a conversation and as being more of a kind of communal experience. Do you find that to be kind of true of what you do? I do, I do. And that was the part that surprised me and sort of delighted me. Um, My blog gets read by a lot of people and on various parts of the country and they leave comments from time to time and it's like this conversation that spreads from coast to coast. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've started to kind of have my faithful readers who um, start to feel like family to me in a sense. So I'm really interested in you saying that this whole blog started because the person who was designing your author website said that an author needs to have a blog. Then um, that kind of goes along with a question that I had about, um, you know, these blogs that we have about, about craft or about, you know, the world of teaching or MFA programs or things like that. Um, what do you think the role is that these blogs are sort of playing in the larger literary world? Well, I think, I think for a lot of years, the literary world was uh, a place where many people felt insular or isolated. Um, people who didn't have the benefit of being in an MFA program or being connected to the writing community in whatever way, uh, sort of found themselves really hungry for conversation. And I think blogs are, are, are filling that, that need because now, as, you know, as I was saying, you create uh, an online community. And uh, I've had people say, you know, reading your blog is like a cheap way of getting an MFA. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it's true that, um, you know, I did, a, I did a series of blog posts from my graduate fiction workshop um, about a year ago, I think it was. And then I did a series from my nonfiction workshop. And so it's like everything that was being talked about in the workshops, I was talking about it online and people were reading and commenting and feeling like they were in some way a part of that conversation. Yeah, it's, it's more accessible maybe than... Well, it is. It is. It is because we do all these things online. And in the days of yore, <laughs> when I was a, a, a young person starting out to write, the only way you had connection to the writing community was usually through creative writing classes or an MFA program. Uh, or if you were in a large city, there might be writers groups or, or whatever. But it was easy to feel sort of alone. Right. And I think that this is the big advantage of blogs these days is to make writers feel less alone. Would you say that maintaining a, a blog about craft and about teaching um, has changed the way you've looked at writing or, or teaching or any of the things that you write about in your blog? Well, um, I don't think I can say that the blog posts have a particular effect upon my writing, except in the um, sense that the things I'm writing about on the, in the blog post are sort of reminders to myself of things that I think are important to my craft. So it's sort of like brushing up a little bit, I guess, before, right. before writing something. Um, 
So I'm not sure that, that there's a big connection between doing the blog post and, and, and my own writing. Um, some people, when they found out I was going to start doing this, said, uh, you know, don't spend, your, don't spend your writing time on the blog. Okay. And I'm really good at not doing that. Um, I do my blog post every Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening uh, for the next week. And so I'm never robbing from my writing time when I'm doing the blog post. That's interesting. So it's, it's separate from what you consider do your work of writing. Right, absolutely. It's separate from the time I spend on my own writing, and it's separate from the way I think about what I do when I'm doing my own writing. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Lee Martin. Thanks, Haley. It was a pleasure. <laughs> That's our show. Thank you to Zachary Levin, Colleen Morrissey, David Winter, and Lee Martin. We hope you've enjoyed these first few podcasts. We'll be back next semester with more writers and scholars. Until then, happy holidays.